As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the moves the Sixers have made so far in free agency, from signing Dwight Howard to a minimum contract to trading Zaire Smith for Tony Bradley what they can do with their taxpayer mid-level exception, and also a few stray thoughts from around the league. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined as always by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man, you know. Caught up on some sleep the last couple nights. The uh, the free agency frenzy has been a little slower than in past years. Like I, I feel like Woj was tweeting out and Shams were tweeting out a day before last offseason what was going on, and Al Horford was done, and Jimmy was gone by I don't know seven eight o'clock, you know, and uh, and now we just have a, a little bit of a slow trickle with the Sixers. Yeah, we had we had more activity on draft night this year. Than maybe we're accustomed to, or at least in terms of big names that we're accustomed to. But we had less activity on free agency. And, you know, like you said, it was, um, we had a whirlwind a couple of days there. Like, we're just not used to having the draft or the free agency two days after the draft. And look, I don't want to complain. I got a little blowback on Twitter for complaining. I'm not complaining. We have, we're incredibly lucky to have our jobs. But that was a very hectic, you know, 72 hours there. And it was nice to take a step back a little bit, see what was going on, catch up on some sleep and sort of watch the rest of the NBA light itself on fire in free agency, which they frequently do, which Daryl Morey warned you about previously in the week, uh, that free agency is where a lot of mistakes happened. I certainly do think that could be the case with some teams this year. We will get to that in a bit. I guess recapping sort of the moves the Sixers did make, which were few and far between. Uh, They signed Dwight Howard to a one-year minimum contract, which is a one-year $2.6 million deal that that counts less than that on a cap. I forget exactly what it is. $1.6 million, and, yeah, it's, okay. uh, and it's It 2. basically 6. counts the same as a two-year, uh, the minimum salary for a two-year vet. They do that, do that so teams aren't incentivized to sign young players to save money over old established veterans. So the Sixers did that. They waived Norvell Pell, uh, poor one out for the Norvell Pell area, era. They also waived Mario Shyock, who was on a two-way contract. Pell was actually on an NBA contract with a non-guarantee for this year. Shyock was on a two-way deal. They signed uh, D- Dakota Matthias to a two-way contract. Big scoop. Move. Big, big scoop. 
Uh, and then they have um, <laughs> one more two-way slot open. You sort of assume that's going to be Paul Reed. Not official yet, no confirmation yet, but that is what you would assume. They have two more roster spots. You sort of assume one of them is going to be Isaiah Joe. Not official yet, hasn't been confirmed, hasn't been done yet. And then they have one more slot open. And that would be, you assume it could be a minimum deal, could be a, a mid-level deal. We will get to that in a bit. The other transaction, they traded Zaire Smith for center Tony Bradley, who spent the last three years with Utah, was briefly traded to Detroit over in, in this offseason, um, and really started playing more this past season, where he got some some actual minutes. Before then, he was a basically a Norvell Pell level. You'll see him a couple times a year, and then last year he got an actual spot in the rotation. So I guess we'll start off, you, you sort of have to start off with Dwight, he is the biggest move, the most consequential move. What were your thoughts on bringing him in to basically be a, you know, Joel Embiid's backup? The Hall of Famer, Dwight Howard. It certainly was the weird Dwight signing you could come to expect. There's always something weird going on with him. And of course, he, what did he tweet? I'm, I'm coming back to the purple yeah. and gold or, <laughs> or whatever. There was a, I believe it was a Chris Haynes article on Yahoo that it, it it didn't it wasn't quite as detailed as as you would think and maybe that was just because there was just a lot of confusion and a lot of uh just misunderstanding between Dwight Howard and the Lakers like the Lakers I think they they said they they had a deal framework laid out for him but not a deal and you would imagine it was for the minimum but you know he, he tweets that he's going back to the Lakers and then about I don't know 30 minutes later Shams is like yeah, yeah, he's still looking at teams. And then Shams, a little bit after that, is, oh, yeah, he is, uh, he's joining the Sixers. And it, it is on a minimum contract. It's a, uh, you know, despite the uh, the weirdness and all that, I think it's a pretty good signing. And it's, it's funny, if you look at what the Lakers did, and I'm kind of zooming out more as, like, in going to the, the rest of the league here, but they, they ended up signing Montrez Harrell for the, uh, the full mid-level exception, the $9 million one. I almost think as a role player, for them, I would rather have Dwight Howard. I don't know if if Montrezl Harrell can play with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. He's certainly a better player than Dwight Howard. Yeah, I mean, you wonder. I Like, I think in, in terms of pick and roll fit with LeBron, like, I think that will be more interesting. The defensive side of the court, I think, is going to be where a lot of that concern comes in. Like, I mean, you saw him get pretty... Uh, to Doc's stubbornness. You saw him get picked apart in the playoffs. He's like wonder, literally, he's like literally the reason Doc Rivers is coaching the Sixers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you, you wonder how that's going to uh, matter when the games matter the most. But yeah, I think he's a, a vastly superior player at this point than Dwight Howard. But you do wonder whether or not defensively that's going to hold up for sure. I, and I would add offensively with those two, like Montrezl Harrell doesn't shoot. And it, as far as like good players who Joel Embiid really takes advantage of, I would say, Montres Harrell, like he just waits for him at the rim, and it's it's like one of the players where like Montres Harrell is this really strong energy guy who makes all these tough layups and is a good player, but that doesn't work as well against Embiid. Anyway, going back to Dwight though, are you he previewing was, the twenty twenty one NBA Finals? Maybe that would be pretty funny. <laughs> Although, uh, yeah, I mean, if the if the Sixers are there, that would be that would be pretty cool. And well, we we've made that mistake previewing that once before. We will be more cautious this time around. Yeah, but but Dwight. You know, I would just say, like, when you zoom zoom out and just take a look at how this happened, and you mentioned before that Daryl Morey said that a lot of bad deals happen in free agency, and he's right. This is not one of them. On the veterans minimum, 
Dwight is, you know, like, look, him last season, he was basically at the end of his career, if he didn't get that right, like he had not played winning, meaningful basketball, and he had gotten to the point of his career where he was not the the Superman first-team All-NBA. I mean, he's made first-team All-NBA like five or six times. He's not that anymore. So the Lakers basically told him, I believe it was after Boogie Cousins got hurt, that, hey, man, you're going to have to just play a role. You're going to have to catch lobs. You're going to have to defend at a high level, set screens. We are never posting you up. Like, like that's not happening. And just, just play really hard for, I, I don't know exactly what he played, but for 15 to 20 minutes a game. And like Vince Carter and these other stars before them, before him, he finally figured out how to be an effective role player. And, you know, I think that was a little more consistent in the regular season. He, uh, I looked at the, at his cleaning the glass numbers, the Lakers outscored opponents by 5.6 points per 100 possessions. Now, look, I'm sure he was playing a lot with LeBron. That, that helps. Um, But like to his credit, he was a part of effective winning basketball and if he can do that again in uh in spelling joel whenever he is uh not playing i feel like this is a win for the sixers and to get that at the veteran minimum there's like almost no risk so overall i would say it's a uh it's a good signing and for uh as a comparison to signing the sixers backup center last year for 28 million dollars is what it was there's no uh, there's no pressure to play Dwight Howard at the four. Obviously, it's uh, I think it's a fine move. By the way, I will say like D- Dwight has been a goofball throughout oh, his complete. career, and, and like and if that's the version you get, then you just cut him. Like who yeah. cares? Yeah, then that's the key. Like if this was if Dwight was 32 and you sign him to a three year deal for the let's say the MLE, I would be worried that what you saw in Los Angeles was him trying to get his career back on track, be that good soldier that for a long time in his career just hasn't worked out for him. Like whether or not he's a good person or bad person, he rubs people the wrong way historically. So I would be questionable whether you'd get that good version of Dwight going forward. But because he's going to be 35 here in a couple of weeks, because he is on a minimum contract, first of all, he's incentivized to be that good soldier and get along with everyone and play his role and accept his role. But also if he doesn't, you cut him and you move on and you find another backup center. There's a lot of them out there. You traded Uh, for one the other day. Right, you traded for one and we'll get to him in a second. But it's like, Look, is Dwight Howard a better player than Al Horford? No, not at all. Not even close. But investing $2.6 million into a backup center makes a lot more sense than investing $27 million in a backup center and allows you to address holes elsewhere. Um, and it allows you key, and I don't want to get too deep into the apron again, but it allows you in future years to have um, flexibility. And it's just it's a better use of resources that will be important. It may not be important as free agency because it looks like they may not use their mid-level, or at least they haven't yet and the options to do so are dwindling, but it will help with flexibility going forward. So look, is Dwight Howard a perfect player? No, clearly. Like there's, you know, his offense is largely based on your movement off ball and rolling to the rim. And I don't know if you've noticed, pick and roll play isn't exactly the Sixers' strength right now. It might be a little more so when you add in Seth Curry, but it's still not their strength. Uh, So there's some question exactly what his offensive role is going to be, whether or not he's just going to be clogging up space. You know, there's some question. He doesn't, he's, he's going to be 35. He doesn't move his feet on the perimeter like he used to. I think a lot of people, and we'll get to this when we talk to Tony about Tony Bradley too, but I think a lot of people who are maybe dismayed about how much Sixers play drop, pick, and roll coverage, 
I don't think that's changing based on the personnel <laughs> that they have. No. Uh, maybe Doc will play, be a little more aggressive in letting his wing defenders help off and, and not be so paranoid about giving up three-point shots. Although, considering Daryl Morey's background and belief in basketball, I'm not even sure that's true. Um, so I think we're going to see a very similar defensive scheme, in part because you added Dwight Howard and Tony Bradley. Um, but by and large, like he will be a presence at the rim. He will rebound and hopefully he will accept his role and he'll do that for very cheaply. And that's why, you know, maybe you could have argued that they should have used their mid-level on some of the other options that we wrote about earlier in the week. Maybe they should have pursued um, Nerlens Noel to fill a similar role, but with a younger player and maybe a little more defensive versatility in terms of jumping out on the perimeter, a, a little less, a lot less discipline, but trade-offs there. But I think by and large, investing a, mi- a minimum in a backup center is the right way to go given the um, NBA's economy. Yeah, the New Orleans rumors were were out there. Dwight, I would still say at this point, I would much rather have him catching lobs than New Orleans, New Orleans with the... Uh, well, he has no hands. Well, well, he has the quickest hands in the world, but also the weakest hands in the yes. world, which is like, it's a uh, it's an interesting combo. But yeah, I agree with you. Less versatility than, than New Orleans in terms of switching and playing that uh, that type of defense. I would say similar to Nerlens, though, there, there's a worry like Al Horford for as misguided of a signing as that was. The idea of him trailing and shooting threes was a yep. really good fit with Ben Simmons on yep. the uh, on the backup units. And you would think that whoever the backup center is, they're going to play on Ben Simmons-led backup yep. units because you know they're not going to play with Joel Embiid. Uh, so, and the Sixers were better when Embiid was off the floor last year in large part because their offense was better and it just it just sort of made sense with uh with Simmons and Horford. Dwight does not give you that. So nope. and, and to be fair like a lot of the options, you know, I don't know, could you have signed an Alex Len maybe and he had one year where he uh he shot the ball pretty well. But the, a lot of the options in the uh in the mid-level and lower section of free agency with these centers they're all pretty good players center has the highest replacement value of any position like there are a lot of guys that can give you pretty good minutes but finding the the stretch guys those are the guys who tend to get paid if they have any sort of defensive chops so that will be a little bit interesting but overall again like for the minimum this is a good signing yeah and look i like if you're gonna tell me I mean, for the minimum, like like we said, there's very little risk in Dwight Howard because if he does act up, if he does revert to maybe some of his tendencies or body language or, or, or locker room stuff in the past, you can just cut him and move on. Um, and in some ways, maybe Tony Bradley is a little bit of Dwight insurance in that regard. I, I had some people like suggesting to me that Tony Bradley means that the Sixers will trade Joel Embiid for James Harden. It's like, no, calm down. We don't need to you read too Th- much into everything. 3D chess, all yeah. of these minor yeah. you know, roster it, moves. That it's 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 that that meme of that guy looking at the whiteboard with all the numbers, and he gets a big smile on his face because he cracked the code. Like not everything's a code to be cracked. Um, <laughs> Daryl Morey's like just, like the Queen's Gambit. He's uh, have you seen that on Netflix? He's like the the girl like looking up at the uh, at the chessboard and seeing all yeah. the moves. No, yeah. I, I I I haven't seen it yet, but I I, I get your point. But it's not everything. Like sometimes you're just trading a guy that you're giving up on for a third string center. And we'll get into Tony Bradley in a second. But I do agree that like when you're talking about complimenting Ben Simmons, and that's what you want in your backup center, I think Dwight's a good compliment defensively, but maybe just about the worst compliment offensively. 
And I do think there was a lot of benefit to having somebody with Al Horford's skill set who you could sort of run that two-man game with, who could help a little bit in terms of running offense through and was a good passer and was a good shooter when he was on the court as a five, as a um, pick-and-pop big. Like, I think in terms of an archetype, I think Al Horford is probably more of where I would lean to. In terms of player, I think Al Horford is a better player to pair with Ben Simmons than Dwight Howard is. But again, a lot of it comes down to economics. Um, I didn't necessarily want to, you know, some of the stretch five options that may have cost more than the minimum. I'm not sure I wanted to give a multi-year deal to with the MLE, even the taxpayer MLE. So I think this is a, you know, it's a reasonable upside, not not super high, but probably isn't going to complete, be completely disastrous either for very little commitment. And I think that's why it's a relative. I mean, look, there's a reason he was available for the minimum. Yeah. Should they have invested more resources in it to find a, a slightly better offensive fit or a significantly better offensive fit? Maybe, but judging based off of what a lot of people got this uh, offseason, I'm not sure that would have been the case. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As a bonus, he doesn't clap after missing jumpers, yes. though, because all he takes are uh, are dunks at this point. And I think he shot 73% yeah. a season ago. And to be fair, like some of that is is that he still can get up for uh, for jumping, but it's also that he played with LeBron James and that... Uh, and he doesn't do anything outside of his comfort zone. And that, that tends to, to help. The uh, So here's a question for you. After the draft, Doc Rivers... Or, uh, sorry, Daryl Morey talked about Doc Rivers having different options to play at center. Like, he, he basically previewed the Dwight signing and also the Tony Bradley trade and saying, like, I just want to give him as many tools to play with. And he's talking about Doc where, you know, when it comes to the backup five, we want to play some small shooting lineups around Ben, but also have some traditional guys. They have two traditional guys now. Yeah. I just wonder, like, what are they going to do to play small with Simmons? Because to me, the only thing that they really have right now is playing Simmons at the at five, the five. Yep. which I don't love <laughs> just because I think you – uh Look, maybe Danny Green and, and Matisse and some of these players, if the perimeter defense beefs up to an insane level, that could be an okay option. Well, but I don't know. I, the Sixers last year didn't look all that great with Simmons at the five. It's It felt a lot like trading baskets and hoping you were going to get three for two. Part of the benefit of playing someone like Simmons at the five is that you can then fill out the rest of the court with shooting and ball handling and shot creation. And when you look at the Sixers' options, you know, Sixers can go in, in one of two ways. They can put out guys like Seth Curry who who fit that offensively, but then have no prayer defensively. And you need, you know, if you're going to overcome Ben Simmons at the five and not having a, a rim protector really at all, ideally you would have three or four or five guys who can switch and you can you can do something creative in that regard. 
well, if you put out Seth Curry, who would fit offensively, you can't switch. Um, if you put out some of the other Sixers perimeter options who can shoot, you can't really do that. But Or at least handle the ball, you can't do that. But if you start putting out the guys who can switch, then you can't really dribble. And so you have a, a weird combination where you can either survive defensively with Sims at the five, or you can actually take advantage of his skill set, but then you're going to get murdered defensively. Yeah, it's not necessarily built for a Simmons at the five lineup. You don't really have a diversity of options in your backup center rotation. And I do think if you're looking at one area of the offseason to be disappointed, and I mean, look, the Sixers made a lot of moves on draft night, which were sacrificing overall talent for fit and financial flexibility. And they preserve that financial flexibility, but some of the fit in terms of your center and your center options are maybe not perfect. So it is an interesting sort of pivot here. Uh, like I said, it's all very low. Like there's not really any opportunity cost or or real cost to signing Dwight to trading for Tony Bradley. I would like a little more diversity of skill sets there though. I, I agree with that. What do you think about Tony Bradley? All right. So I guess overall the um, gist of it, and I'll start off with the financials. And look, like I said, I think a lot of people were seeing whether or not the Sixers were playing 8D chess. And I guess sort of like the one thing I would say, like right now, Tony Bradley is on the fourth year of a rookie scale contract making $3.5 million, whereas Zaire Smith was on the third year of a rookie scale making, I think, about $3.2 million. So there's two key differences. And most of it, it comes up as a trade chip in a couple of months here. You know, first of all, Tony Bradley, if you're sending him out because he makes $300,000 more, you can take in uh, a little bit more in a trade back. And he will be, you assume that the Sixers are going to decline Zaire Smith's fourth year option. And in that case, both both Smith and Bradley as trade chips would have been expiring contracts. But you can take back a little bit more with, with Bradley than you could with Smith. And also the receiving team, Bradley will be a restricted free agent next season. Whereas Smith, if you decline his option, would have been an unrestricted free agent. And most times when a player has three years or less of experience, they are a restricted free agent. Mostly done to help you keep your second round draft picks if they succeed. But the one exception to that is when you have a guy on a first-round rookie-scale contract that you decline either a third- or fourth-year option, then you don't keep their restricted status. They become unrestricted. Again, that really only matters if you're worried about Zaire Smith like actually showing that he has a significant role in the NBA. And not only that, that he will do that throughout the course of his career, but that he will show that here in the next couple of months. Seems like a relatively low um, reason, but like there is a conceivable future where Tony Bradley continues playing stronger, maybe in a larger role, and has a marginal amount of trade value for a team. Um, I sort of doubt it, though. Uh, you know, I think Bradley had a pretty good statistical season here with the Jazz last year. Let, let me pull it up here. Offensive rebounding. A really good offensive rebounder. Um, 4.9 points per game, 4.6 rebounds per game, of which almost half came on the offensive side of the glass, and 0.6 blocks and 11.4 minutes per game did appear in 58 games for the Jazz and started three of them. You go down and look at some of his advanced stats. You know, he just comes out as a very efficient, low-minute player. And look, I think he is... Again, he's he's not the... He, he's sort of like a 90s archetype of a center. He's not going to be the most mobile guy. He's not going to cover the most ground. You are probably going to play drop, pick, and roll coverage. He's only going to make the plays that are pretty much self-created for him. Um, he has, you know, he shot the ball reasonably well from the free throw line. Maybe there's a little bit of a burgeoning mid range game there, but really it's, it's playing within his role, being tall near the rim and offensive rebounding. And that's, that's sort of the role he can play. 
which is a lot like the role to a lesser extent that Dwight Howard would play, which is why we're saying there's not a whole lot of diversity of skill in the Sixers center rotation. Um, I think there's a chance he could be a legitimate backup center. And if that's the case and acquiring him, you know, people were saying like, well, why don't you just keep Norvell Pell? Tony Bradley's 22. Norvell Pell, I don't think people realize this because he's only been playing for a couple of years and people view him as a prospect. He's 27 years old. He's older than Nerlens Noel, who seems like he's been around forever. So Tony Bradley is right now a better player than Norvell Pell and a much younger player than Norvell Pell. Uh, so I think, and also a, a better trade chip because he, he, oddly, because he makes more money, he's an unexpiring contract and a restricted free agent. So, you know, I get why you'd want Tony Bradley over Norvell Pell. I think he might be, there's a chance he might be a legitimate backup center. Not necessarily, and it's sort of like an archetype that's going out of fashion, but like he might have that kind of impact where you could say next summer, hey, we think this guy can fill a 15-minute-per-game role as Embiid's backup. Maybe go out, get a, another shooter to complement those three, a stretch five to complement those two, I mean. But look, I think two things are clear. One, he might be a very marginal better trade chip at the deadline, and that could be a marginal factor. But also they didn't have any, like they were going to decline Zaire Smith's option. They didn't have any belief that he was going to, it, there just wasn't confidence in Zaire Smith. Um, and maybe that's wrong. Maybe that's right. But I think it's pretty clear that's where they were. And he didn't have any trade value either. So they flipped him for a third string center. I mean, kind of, I think a lot of people held out hope for Zaire Smith. And I get that it sucks that they essentially gave up on him. But I don't think you have to force AD chess in there to try to explain that. Yeah, and they also just acquired a bunch of smaller wing types and combo guard types where there was really no path for him getting on the floor. And frankly, if he didn't really improve, there was no path to him getting on the floor anyway. Um, it sucks. Look, Obviously, like Zaire, like what he went through and, you know, spending the first round pick on him, I, I understand that there is an emotional attachment to him. He is still, I mean, he is, it's unbelievable how young he is. He, still just turned 21 years old after uh, after a couple of harrowing years in Philadelphia. But I do think it was um, it was key for a lot of the people who were wondering why they did this. Uh, you know, I, I'm not here to say Tony Bradley is going to be this great backup center. I think he has a chance to be one. And he certainly, he has maybe in a thousand percent chance more opportunity to play um, than Smith next year. But... Uh, you know, the, the Pistons, did they stretch him? Is that Zaire? A, yeah. I, I think there was a report that they were going to, yeah. Yep. And and obviously they're in a, a little bit of a numbers crunch with their uh, their crazy spending spree that they, they made in uh, on the first night of free agency. But, and like, like, look, I know Zaire, he shot, what did he shoot, 36%, averaged four, or from three, he shot, or uh, he averaged 14 points per game in the G League. He did not look like an NBA player, like an impactful one um, in his two years here. And maybe that uh, that comes for him, and I'm rooting for him, for sure. Great kid. But it's uh, it's also fair to uh, to note that he had, I would say, like very little trade value. None at all. Yeah. And he, ha- he had a steep mountain to climb to crack this rotation. And look, I get, like you said, emotional attachment. I think there are people who are mad that they um, – you know, about that that draft night trade still, and that they they traded, they passed on the opportunity for Bridges, a local favorite. I get all that. 
Couple and I, look, it's a shame that the Sixers tried to kill him with sesame seed oil. That's a that's a, it's been a really tough go for Zaire Smith. And like yep. I, legitimately, I like I joke about the Sixers trying to kill him. They clearly didn't. But it was a very tough go for him here in in, in Philadelphia. That about things that were far greater and completely unrelated to the basketball court. So I hope he turns it around. Seems like a good kid. Uh, certainly an athletic kid who has a shot in that regard. But there was a a mountain of skill development that needed to happen. It's there was a mountain feel. of just a like, feel too that just needed to happen. And I think that's where a lot of the time off hurt him. Uh, but the Sixers had a you know they had a decision they had to make on that. Like Zaire Smith next season would have been paid like five million dollars in the final year of his 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 rookie scale contract. That's a that's a pretty significant number when you're talking about a team that could be on a crunch for staying under the apron if they they do elect to use that uh that mid level. Like five million isn't insignificant. And I get why they. Would have moved him. I get why someone like Daryl Morey, even though I think a lot of people assume he doesn't value centers, but I think in terms of high productivity, low minute guys, I think there's an int- intrigue on whether or not Tony Bradley can extend that a little bit more. And I mean, Zaire just didn't have any trade value. So, so going back to that draft night trade quickly, I will defend the asset play that they made. That was a good pick that they uh, acquired. Unfortunately, they then used yeah, they that used pick. It, yep. And the other first-round pick, who has shown way more than uh, than Zaire had showed at this point, um, and then they traded it for Tobias Harris, who they gave a ton of money to, and they probably could have waited for the offseason. So bad times all around, considering Mikael Bridges has turned into the, uh, the guy that he has turned into. I also think it's pretty funny. I remember Brett talking about how they had Bridges and Zaire 1A and 1B on their draft board, which... I mean, I I think that's just pretty funny. Like they they were very different players even before the uh, the relative lack of success Zaire has had so far in the NBA. Like, I mean, I, Bridges was ready made. He was, you know, the the prototypical three and D guy. Zaire was this big uh, big wild card swing, and they uh, they messed that up. So yeah, so bad times all around on that uh, on that transaction. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, if you, if you go back, like I had I had Bridges as a top 10 prospect right at the end of the top 10. It's still a top 10 prospect. And I think I had I had Zaire in like middle of the first round, like 15, 16, 17, that kind of range. If you go back and you listen to our podcast at the time, like we were saying and arguing that this is a good trade, but the draft pick is a much more valuable asset of the two you got back. You got that, you know, unprotected, what is it, Miami pick? which at the time Miami was in a lot of uncertainty. Like a lot of the young players they drafted hadn't yet shown themselves out. They were sort of being led by Dion Waiters. Like we're talking about that era of Miami basketball. They hadn't gotten Jimmy Butler. And it was an unprotected pick. There's still a chance at the time that that could have been a year where they let the um, let people come straight from, from high school. So it could have been a deep draft, a high-impact draft that ended up getting pushed back. But you didn't know that at the time. Uh, so there's a chance that that pick could have been a high-value pick, not necessarily for the Sixers to keep, but for the Sixers to use as a trade chip. And it was a high-value pick that the Sixers used as a trade chip. The problem is they use it on a guy that they were then going to drastically overpay in a couple months' time in Tobias Harris. So I think it was a that transaction, I will still say, was a good transaction. And not because I ever thought Zaire was a better prospect than Bridges, but because I thought that trade that, that draft pick was a good trade chip it's just they went out and they they targeted the wrong person and then they overpaid for him and that's a, that's a shame. Yep. All, All right. right. Speaking of overpayments. Oh God. So, I guess overall impressions of free agency and well, I guess we'll start off with sort of like the winners and look, I think the Bucks 
you know, our own John Hollinger sort of went through how like the levels of self-own that the Bucks did here in free agency of, of essentially making their life harder and screwing up the Bogdanovich situation, all that stuff. But I think when you start looking at their transactions and their team, and look, I don't necessarily buy into DJ Augustine as a high-impact playoff player, so we will see how that works. But look, they got Drew Holiday, they got Augustine, Bobby Portis, Torrey Craig. Like, I think they are going to be a better team than the one they were last year. And now, will that matter? Look, I think I think Drew Holiday has a chance to have a high impact in the playoffs. And when you're talking about the Bucks. You know, that's sort of where their 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 struggles have come in. Are they a good enough playoff team? Is um you know Bledsoe and Middleton good enough as your two and three options to be an NBA finals team? Well, I think I think Drew Holiday is a significant upgrade there. And I think they're gonna be a good team. I think they have pretty good depth. In terms of the Sixers perspective, I didn't think the Sixers were in their league anyway, uh, at least not yet, but I think that that gap has certainly grown. And then I th- I think Portland You think it's grown? Just, that's interesting. I'm, I do. I'm I not do. I'm not fully there with you on that what because the Sixers do you think because Milwaukee has improved or the Sixers have improved because more I would say Milwaukee's improvement is probably I I value it a little less I would say and I think the Sixers while they're not in their league in terms of getting to the finals I think they have become a higher floor team in my opinion I think they've become a higher floor team too we'll see but in terms of of succeeding in the playoffs I don't know I'm just I, I, I I still have my questions with the Sixers team. We'll see. So so going to Milwaukee, first off, I don't know what was going on with, with Brogdon's medical. And, and I understand that, that the, the concerns about him staying healthy are supposedly like really it's, – it's a pretty scary thing to look at when you look at his uh, – at some of his behind-the-scenes stuff. That said, Milwaukee, you really screwed up if if he's healthy because you could have just kept him and – all of these first round picks and, and that you gave away, you'd be so much better off for the future. That said, they they have to try and keep Giannis around. There was some buzz that uh, that he was going to sign that supermax deal. Maybe they're uh, they're dragging it out until right before the season. I don't know. Um, so I, I think the question with Drew is: I've always thought Drew's a little bit overrated. Now the the question for him is. He had a playoff series a couple seasons ago where he completely locked yep. Damian Lillard up, and it was one of the more impressive series you can have. Um, my question is, why is he not in the playoffs more? Like, he had Anthony Davis on his team for a few years, and this is going way back to uh, to the pre-process era, but you you were always on board with this. Like, just he did, never got to the line enough. I think he's like a 35% three-point shooter now, Obviously a great defensive player that doesn't always show up in the defensive metrics quite as much, but like, you know, watching him lock up Kyrie Irving and and shuffle and move his feet. One of the more impressive things you can see. I just wonder if he, he takes them over the top and you're right. It's, it's a playoff move because with Bledsoe and with George Hill, Milwaukee had figured out the, uh, the regular season. And I do applaud them for realizing that, Hey, we can't do the same thing. Over and over again, their uh, their failed pursuit of Bogdanovich. I, I think he really would have helped them. Like he would have. Yep. If you yep. would have had those five guys, and really, I mean, if Sacramento was basically willing to trade salary filler and trade for salary filler and Divincenzo, to me, that's a pretty good deal for uh, for Milwaukee. If you're 
closing five would have been Drew, uh, Bogey, Middleton, Giannis, Brooke. Like, that's pretty good. And obviously, Bud had the the thing last offseason where he wouldn't play his starters enough. I, I think the, the lack of depth on that team, he would have had to play them more. That, to me, would have been a little bit scarier of a lineup. And But I, but I do applaud them for, for getting away from the, the playing one way, like Giannis and shooting. They certainly needed to diversify their offense a little bit more in the uh, in the playoffs. And I, I think they're probably a little bit better, but we'll, we'll, we'll see, I guess. Boston certainly got worse. I, yeah. I don't, I don't mind them not matching the, uh, I mean, not, not matching Gordon opted out, but not paying the $120 million Gordon Hayward got yeah. Yeah. from Michael Jordan and the, uh, and the Charlotte Hornets. I actually would be, we probably would have led this podcast laughing at them if they, <laughs> If they had done that, but they certainly took a step back this year. Yeah. So like that, 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 um, sequence of events, the decision not to, and again, like using the word match implies like a restricted free agency, but not being willing to offer that same contract that Charlotte did is both the right decision and also one that I think will chip away at their depth and their upside. So I do, I do agree with you. First of all, I don't think it was a wrong move to not offer that contract. Like that is a very scary contract for a guy in Gordon Hayward who A, has injury history, and B, is going to be 35 by the end of it. For a, a team like, uh, well, I guess we'll get to the Charlotte aspect of this in a second, but it does, it does, I mean, it does hurt Boston. And that's, you know, Boston has lost a lot of key players here over the years. And by and large, I mean, Brad Stevens, who might be entering like virtual wizard territory here, like he's found a way to overcome all of that. You do wonder eventually like when that's just going to catch up with him. And maybe it doesn't. Maybe Jason Tatum, who just signed a huge Supermax extension, Maybe he and Jalen Brown just keep growing and growing and growing and they find ways to put supporting talent around them and, and, and scheme away whatever other deficiencies they have. Maybe that happens, but it does seem like it would at least become more difficult to do that when you keep losing talent like they have. Um, Your bench is pretty weak, I got to say. Yeah, and it, it was even before then. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Toronto, right. Toronto lost uh, their two centers too. Like, yep. Obviously, I still imagine that they're going to be a very plucky and and – just frankly good regular season team playing in a uh, in Tampa Bay this season <laughs> but uh I certainly think that that's going to hurt them a little bit they uh I thought it was pretty funny that they they lost their Embiid stopper and they were like all right who who can we get is the as the best facsimile of Marcus Hall and they went with Baines don't think that that's a bad move by any means um, yeah I, look I I've I've made too many mistakes doubting the Raptors in the past. Um, but certainly you would look at them and say that that's a pretty big loss, not only overall, but certainly with how they um, they can compete against the Sixers. I, I should sure. say the, the Celtics signed Tristan Thompson to a decent amount of money too, which not in love with that. I, you know, obviously it's not going to take away from, uh, from how good Tatum and Jalen Brown are and can be and Marcus Smart, but, you know, he's he's not exactly a stretch big either, so... Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, and then we, I guess going back to, to Charlotte, which, whew. All right, so Gordon Hayward, four years, $120 million. Like we said, just a, a very risky contract to begin with when you're talking about a guy who's going to be in his mid-30s through most of that with that kind of injury history. And look, does Gordon Hayward make them better? Yes, especially if LaMelo Ball is able to have a, a positive impact early on in his career. So you're looking at a team in Charlotte who, you know, I think some thought had a chance to maybe start contending for an eight seed. Does this help them? Yeah, it does. But this sort of like goes back to a larger team building. What's the goal of sports? And maybe the goal of sports is different for Michael Jordan because he's as, as filthy rich as he is. And look, he's got a lot of money. By your and I standards, he is filthy freaking rich. By NBA owner standards, he's not filthy rich. So maybe just being an eight seed and making more money is really a high priority for him. But if we're talking about getting an NBA, like an NBA championship goal, signing these kind of guys before you have your superstars in place is so risky. And a lot of people, I heard a lot of people on Twitter like, well, they're Charlotte. They're not attracting anyone. Anyway, you have to overpay. That makes the assumption that your two options are give up or give Gordon Hayward $120 million. And those aren't your two options. Like I think someone in, in Charlotte's position, they need to be using every lever they have to get a superstar because you're, you're right. You're never going to get players to want to go to Charlotte based on the strength of Charlotte. You're going to need to get them to go to Charlotte because they think they can have the chance to compete and because they want to play with another superstar. So everything you're doing, if you're Charlotte has to be, how can this position myself to get a superstar? And look, maybe they're just so bought into LaMelo Ball, they think they got that with the third pick in the draft. And maybe they do. I haven't watched a whole ton of LaMelo Ball. I think that's putting the cart before the horse. You know, I think you should. they, should, they need to be using their cap space to find people that the market undervalues so they can give them, essentially MCW them into a large role, increase their trade value, take on bad contracts for picks, and do everything they can to position themselves sort of like a hinky-style teardown because they're just, they're not relevant with Gordon Hayward. Like, he will make them better. Yes, he will not get them closer to an end goal. I think there's a real chance that contract becomes virtually untradeable. I think, I think you probably, if like if you were in OKC and you heard somebody scream, that was probably Presty thinking about how many draft picks he's going to get from Charlotte in two years when they want to <laughs> dump that contract. Like, I think they are depriving themselves of assets and depriving themselves of smart use of cap space in chase of five more wins. And just like, bad teams sign Gordon Hayward to that contract and good teams like Boston know when to uh, move on and try their hand elsewhere. And that's especially true given where those two teams are in the life cycle. I believe that I said last year on this podcast that I was all in on Oklahoma City going tank. So I just would like to say that before Presti really hit it in the hyperdrive and uh, and started to collect all of these first round picks, I was, uh, I was on board. What he's doing is... Uh, it's honestly amazing. So <laughs> yes, it is. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. And I, I would just say, like, to to bring it back quick to the Sixers, you know, obviously they are they are short of title contention, in my opinion. It feels kind of like they're they're 2017, 2018 again, which could yeah. mean a damn good team, you know, like a 50, 52 win team. But we get back to the idea of like, where's the perimeter cre- creator that that gets you into the last couple rounds right. of the I mean, playoffs. Boston essentially dared them to dribble and the Sixers couldn't. And that's why they completely reverse, reverse course to a big team that couldn't dribble. Yeah. And that ended up being worse. At least, uh, at least the original group had some shooting and, you know, I, I guess the hope from the Sixers standpoint is that Simmons and Embiid both go up a level and Hey, maybe they do. And maybe the, uh, this ends up being the right combo or whatever. I, I would still put them a little bit below, even if it's not necessarily one team, just like, the all of the East teams, I would imagine somebody would figure out the right way to make them dribble, but that's okay. They're they're in a better spot than they were last year, and I think the the way you know that is that they are not overreaching in free agency. It is still Monday. It is still two full days after free agency started, and they are looking to get some players on the taxpayer mid-level exception you know, a minimum contract or whatever. And that's uh that's a better place to be in than handing out twenty million dollars to Jeremy Grant, thirty million dollars yeah. to uh to Gordon Hayward. So good good spot. Let's I, I guess let's transition to that. I guess one quick thing. The other the only other team I want to mention I'm real excited to see play is Portland. Yeah, the addition of I like Robert Covington done. and yeah. Derek Jones and Harry Giles, Rodney Hood. Like I think that's a much more balanced team that can that can play off of uh, really cover up some of the weaknesses of their two stars. I'm real excited to see them play. All right, let's move they, on. They to- had nobody on the wing, and, and they are the one team with Damon CJ that sometimes I think the three and D can get a little bit overrated if that's all you're uh, you're acquiring. Like somebody's going to have to dribble the ball, but for Portland, yeah, I, I think they're going to be pretty damn good next year. Well, I, I also I also think we tend to. I, th- this is a point that Mike O'Connor, our our old colleague, made on the latest Ricky where it's like, not only is, is 3 and D a little overrated because like dribbling is sort of important. Dribbling is important. I agree. But also like we tend to overrate 3 and D guys. Like a lot of guys who we call 3 and D, they're not necessarily good at 3 or D, but like they don't really fit any other archetype. So we call them 3 and D, like Zaire Smith. Sure. Um, who I think Zaire Smith will become a good defender. The three part we'll see. But like, I think our ability to really rotate Im- or evaluate impact defense is still lagging a little bit. Uh, so I think a lot of people get lumped into, and especially prospects, where you have to translate that shot to the NBA. But even in the, in the NBA, I think a lot of times we don't necessarily rate perimeter defense correctly, and I think that leads to some mistakes. I, th- I think 3 and D is a way we set, sort of like lump people who don't have enough skill into uh, a, a bucket we lump them into. All right, moving on to the taxpayer mid-level, with the, which Sixers still have, which again starts at $5.7 million, can be for up to three years in length, and can have raises of 5% over the base year. So that's what they have left. They theoretically have, assuming Isaiah Joe is under roster, they have one roster spot left. Now the, the, the roster spots will bump up to 20 in the off season. So you can sign guys to essentially training camp deals. But in terms of when the season starts in now less than a month's time, which is super weird, uh, they have 14 of their 15 roster spots theoretically filled. One more out there. Is there anyone, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this section to you because I haven't done a whole lot of research on that and shame on me. Is there anyone out there that you think would be a good use of this exception? They might not even have to pay the full mid-level no, exception not. with how yep. this is kind of uh, 
this is played out, you know, there are a few options. Like, and, and I will say, like, just like looking at their roster, I see two needs. I mean, the, the third need, I guess, would be the small ball center type that we talked about a few minutes ago. I'm going to – let's push that to the side and say that they're set at center with the with the three guys for now. So to me, there are two ways that they could go with this. One would be either a backup point guard or a kind of a more of a scoring guard, more of a, a dribbler, I would say, than what they have. Now, you might argue that with Seth Curry, with Tyrese Maxey, and with Shake Milton, they might be able to cobble together backup point guard minutes. But, you know, for various reasons, whether it's not completely in their skill sets or in Maxey's case, like he's 20 years old, I'm not sure you want to be relying on a rookie to play a big part. Um, you could right, like upgrade- the playoffs are in like five months. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you could upgrade yeah. that position. And by the way, like if Tyrese Maxey is one of those guys, like he, he turns into Tyler Hero and he's pretty good right away, awesome. But but I'm not sure you can count on that, and I'm not sure the Sixers can know that he'll be that good. Um, and, and the good news here is, like, regardless of what they do with this or the other position, when they have the taxpayer mid-level exception, the the level of mistake that they can make here is not not massive. It's not something that they're going to have to uh, attach a first-round pick to in a few years. So they could do that, and I, I'm thinking of, like, Langston Galloway could be somebody who they uh, who they acquire. There's, there's another guard out there who I am uh, – who I'm blanking on right now. Um, forgive me. It's not It's not a great group of players. And then the other position that I think that they could upgrade. Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson. Yep. Former Doc Rivers player, Reggie Jackson, who uh, injury concerns but can run a pick and roll and shot it pretty well. Yeah, over his the, over shooting's the, been much better the last few years. Yep. Over the past few years. So would you want to acquire him? He's obviously uh, – I feel like he's gotten in some some fights with some – or. Uh, not actual fights, but some uh, some disagreements, disagreements with yeah. uh, <laughs> with some of his former players. I'm sure Doc would uh, would be able to uh, to tell Daryl what is going on there. Or the other position you can go at is a bigger wing, and you have acquired Danny Green. You have acquired Terrence Ferguson, who's you know he's six seven, but he's skinnier. Seth Curry, Tyrese Maxey. A lot of you know you already have Shake Milton. A lot of combo guards who might be able to play the three in, in small lineups. Matisse, Ferk. They're not going to get to the four, I would say, in any lineups. And you have Ben Simmons who allows you to play those smaller guys. So it's not like, you know, Daryl talked about how you don't have to have the perfect roster on the first day of the season. And with Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris, you have an, enough minutes to play the four. You have enough bodies to play the four. It, it would just be some some different lineups. But it would be nice to have a wing who projects more as a 3-4. The obvious name that I have in my head, and I hope we get it right, just because we had it on yeah. the Sixers stay or go post a few weeks ago, is uh, is Glenn Robinson the third. Again, I think we've talked about GR3. We know his his limitations, but... For uh, for what likely could be less than the mid-level exception, not a bad guy to have on your roster. I uh, I would not be opposed to uh, to filling that last roster spot with him. And those those are kind of the two places that they could go with this. And uh, you know, I, I think just the overarching thoughts on this is like, regardless of what they do at this point of free agency, by sitting it out and by uh, 
by making the moves they made, the uh, the level of the mistake that they can make is pretty low here. Yeah, and I, th- I think I probably agree with you there. Like, I, I think if I'm reading the situation, I don't think they make a big move here, big in terms of dollars or years, with the taxpayer mid-level. Like, I think that quote with Daryl about not having to build out your full roster on day one is sort of sticking in the back of my mind. Like, I think maybe you go and you give Maxi 30 games and you see whether or not, like, you give him a role right off the bat and you see whether or not he can be one of those early success stories. You see whether or not Seth Curry can be maybe that perfect fit to play alongside of Ben Simmons. You see whether or not, you basically see how these pieces fit before you really go in. And, you know, I think one of the benefits that we've talked about here is they have a lot more trade ships at the deadline when you can start aggregating some of these salaries. So I think you, like, if I'm just tea leave reading, and it's just tea leave reading, but so far our tea leave reading has been pretty okay. Uh, the only one who really got wrong was Zaire, who we thought they would decline his option but not trade him, mostly because didn't think he had any trade value, which I think it's clear they're going to decline his option and they didn't have much trade value. It's just they found somebody else to... uh to to take on they found a team with 18 centers who didn't need a 19 so <laughs> like it's it's they've it's, had a weird offseason they've had a very weird offseason so jeremy grant who god bless i'm happy happy for jeremy but i'm not sure i'd want to pay him 20 mil a year the hinky guys have gotten paid man oh yeah jakar got another deal uh jeremy got paid robert's Cove. still getting paid yep yep, yep. Cove got traded for two first round picks covster yeah. wow yep um, so I think, I think by and large, like I, if you're, I don't expect to be overwhelmed by what they do at this mid-level. I think they probably ride it out, see what they have and are aggressive at the trade deadline. And look, is that a little disappointing of a free agency? Maybe like, I don't, I don't think they've hit any home runs here. Uh, I think a lot of, of the strategy, both in the draft and free agency is positioning, um, finding pieces that fit better in their short term and where you can be more flexible and can be, you know, pounce in the future when something comes up. And not pretending that right now is the um, the best opportunity to do so. So I think it's it's probably a bit disappointing. I think they're probably positioned pretty well, and I think they're still below what you would consider a championship level level squad. So we'll see what they do going forward. You know, it was their biggest mistake. I don't know how What's much up? he signed for in Denver. They should have signed Campazzo based on the the Twitter highlight reel I've ever uh, the the best one I've ever seen. Some of the craziest passes in Europe. I have, I mean, it was two minutes of just absolutely delightful, ridiculous shit. Um, and I think when we get to the Facundo Campazzo part of the podcast, I think it's time to <laughs> to wrap this shit up. <laughs> it is probably a, a pretty good place to uh, to cut it off. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.